2021 is off to an interesting and indeed pleasant start for Sale as we have our first win under interim coach Paul Deacon to discuss. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, first of all, how are you and did you have a pleasant evening yesterday baiting Gloucester fans on Twitter? <laughs> I know it's it's just too easy to do, isn't it? I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, I I was very very um, happy with the end of that game because I saw it going wrong um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think we showed a bit of uh, a bit of heart and a bit of fight and and got a result that probably we didn't deserve on the balance of the game. Um, although probably did deserve on the balance of our second half. So, yeah, very happy. And, um, you know, <laughs> the controversy, uh, we might get a bit of abuse off the various Gloucester fans, but it's uh, it's good for numbers, isn't it? So, you know, very happy. How are you? Very happy with the engagement numbers that we saw yesterday on Twitter, I'm not going to lie. Who, who knew that uh, a bit of controversy um, stirs up a lot of... Uh, Heated reactions and, and positive uh, engagements as well, um, but we'll get we'll get all onto that a little bit later on. Uh, James, obviously, we're talking about sales twenty two nineteen victory over Gloucester uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, how are you? And I, I assume that you're feeling a lot better now that we've been able to to scrape a win uh, under Paul Deacon. Yeah, as I've said for the, you know, last week, that the professional game it's, it's a game of small margins and. I don't think that our performance was that much better really than in the last three weeks. We performed in one half of the game in terms of commitment, um, but our skill levels and performance levels more generally was a similar level as I thought of, of the last three games. Um, the difference was was that you know Gloucester were also in a dark place and, and they were quite keen to throw the game away as, as much as they could. Um, so it's fallen our way this time and that's all you need sometimes. And hopefully, fingers crossed, um, this will boost some confidence. Um, remind our our guys, you know, why they play the game, what, why they enjoy it, and hopefully we can go on a run from here. Well, you set me up perfectly, then, because my first question to Alex was going to be: uh, on the face of it, Sale have gone down to King's Home. They've they've won away. It's a first win under Paul Deacon. It snapped a three game losing streak. It's it's four points that takes us back into the top four in the Premiership. On the face of it, Alex, it, it seems like a, a really good day's work for, for sale. But actually, the, the feeling around the fan base seems to be that we were a little bit lucky to get away with four points. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I do think it is, to be fair. And, and I think that doesn't that still means it's a really good day for sale because, it, as James said, you know, it's, we needed that. And, and I think um, sometimes in sport it comes down to the kind of fine margins and you, you sometimes need to win really a bit ugly and get a bit of a look um, just to kind of snap you out of what has been a pretty dour month for the club, really. Um, you know, ever since Dimes left, it's been pretty much bad news all round um, with injuries and coaching staff and struggling on the field um, and an uncertainty off it. So I think it was it was really, really needed. Um, but I, d- I don't think we, you know, deserve the win. Well, I think... James is right. Gloucester threw that away, and I think that's the point. That's why we feel maybe like we don't deserve that. We didn't deserve the win quite as much as as um, we sometimes have this season. Uh, you know, you look at the overall game, and there were some controversial calls that went our way. There were some controversial calls that went Gloucester's way. Um, 
But I think on the balance of the game, Gloucester were much better for the majority of it. We kind of, we almost did what Edinburgh and Wasps to an extent did to us in the last couple of weeks. We were dreadful in the first half. Gloucester didn't put us out of sight. And then we came back in the second half with a bit of bit of fight and a bit of heart and and you know, these are cliches and probably as a professional rugby coach is sat there going, Well, it's not about fighting heart, it's about executing blah blah blah. But it did seem like that. You know, you have people like Josh Beaumont coming on the field and you have people like Marlon Yard really celebrating at that first after the kickoff when, you know, we get the ball back and there's an, another point on over celebration, but um you know, it just showed that I think we we kind of wanted it and we almost, you know, we just turned our performance on in that second half and we still struggled to execute and we still had the same old issues that we've had for a while. It, you know, when we get five metres from the line, we really, it's hard for us to score a try. Um, but, you know, finally after 39 minutes of that half, when it mattered, we got over. And, and Gloucester will be feeling, I presume, exactly like we were feeling for the last two weeks in that, you know, they think if we'd played better in the first half, we would have put this game out of sight. I think you're absolutely spot on with, with labelling this game as sort of a reverse Edinburgh or reverse uh, Wasps game in that sale just kind of came out in the second half because we were all chatting uh, yesterday afternoon during the first half, after Louis Reese Samit's try, we're like, you know, th- this is crap. You know, this is, you know, the same old sale, same issues. Um, we're, we're just not performing. And it, the difference between yesterday and the last couple of weeks is we really did turn it around in, in the second half. And how much of that is, is on sale, uh, improving their execution? How much of that is on Gloucester kind of fading away? Remember, Gloucester are bottom of the table. They've really struggled for form this year. You can kind of see that they're a team low on confidence. And that kind of came to the fore in the second half. But, you know, you look at, Possession, sale first half, 44%, then it goes up to 64%. Territory, 50% in the first half, 71% in the second half, uh, and so on and so forth. Really felt like sale were able to kind of um, flip the switch a little bit uh, in the second 40 and actually put the pressure on Gloucester. And, and ultimately, Gloucester, as a team low on confidence, folded a little bit. Um, and I think a massive part of that, James, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, um, is actually... Game management has been a, a real issue for sale um, for, for the last couple of years, never mind under Paul Deacon. Um, but I thought our tactic of taking the points when they're on offer consistently, combined with pretty great kicking performance from AJ McGinty, uh, played a massive part in putting us in a position where ultimately we're able to, to make some of that extra territory and possession pay in, in the second half. Do you think that is a fair assessment and, and giving credit to, to McGinty? Uh, absolutely. I mean, he kept us in the game, didn't he? And that first penalty set set the tone for all of the others. Uh, I'd get as far as to say that's probably his, his best penalty kick of the season so far. Um, certainly distance-wise, you know, it's on the edge, I think, of, of, of his usual range. But uh, when you've got somebody kicking 90 to 100% of their kicks um, at the moment in this season, most teams have got quite high penalty counts. And therefore, you do have the opportunity to really accumulate points by the boot with a top-class kicker. And in the last few seasons, we you know we have struggled for top-class um, kicking percent- percentages. You know, Rob Dupree has had his issues historically. You know, Danny Cipriani down at a fit, about fifty percent was the difference between us finishing sort of you know seventh and in the top four almost. It was so big. So huge credit to AJ McGinty kept us in the game in the first half, where you know we we could have been at, you know out of sight by then. I mean, the second half, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, our game um, uh, 
move forward in that second half in the sense of the commitment. And it, and the commentators noticed it right from the beginning. But it was the commitment in the tackle, the energy, the ferocity in the carrying. We saw that ourselves coughing up possession and things. But we did retain a little bit more and the game management more generally was quite good. That was um, helped when the likes of Will Cliff came on as well, I think. Um, and we were able to maintain position field position and just put the pressure on that either led to more penalties where we kicked our goals or ultimately to the try that we scored at the end. I think we were so dominant in the second half. We, you know, we probably should have scored a lot more points, but I think that, you know, considering where we were at half time and considering where our confidence is, just getting over the line was an enormous achievement. Yeah. I think this almost, this almost reminds me of that game against Northampton um, a couple of seasons ago where I said, if we keep playing like this, we're going to get relegated and have never lived it that. But you said at the time, James, all, we are a team low on confidence and all we needed was a win. And yes, it was a, a horrible win and it was a poorly executed win and the performance was rubbish and there were loads of holes in it and we could pick them apart. But fundamentally, it's four points and... It, you are right, it will completely, you know, as a professional rugby player, you, you imagine, and I'm obviously not speaking from experience here, but you imagine it completely changes the mood around the camp and the mindset because now you've got a head coach who's won a game and, you know, you're on a winning streak of one, albeit, but, you know, getting those points and, and proving that you can win games, I think is massive. And hopefully that kind of kicks us on into improving the other areas of our game because, you know, we've got that little bit of extra confidence and that little bit more buoyancy in the camp um, going into the next few weeks. Yeah, I think I think the other point to make as well is, you know, you saw that togetherness and, and the happiness in the group that they got, got over the line when that final whistle went. Um, embodied a little bit in that little scrap, which I know Lewis wants to talk about in a bit, but I think that bodes well to the player group know that they can go to a dark place together and come out of it together. You know, we know that the changes that have happened in the in with, with Dimes leaving, and that clearly has had an enormous impact on the psych, psychology, on the psychological state of our of our club. Um, so that the, they'll be able to, I think, reflect on that going through the season to know that they've been to a pretty low place and and come through it with a win. If they can get on with a bit of a run, then I think it could it could bode could bode quite well. You mentioned Marlon Yard. I mean, he he. You know, he, he he wasn't sort of cutting through with loads of line breaks and all the rest of it, and you know he knocked a couple on in in the air. But you could see that he was fully committed to that performance, and uh, he he was you know piling himself into rooks even and things like that. And so there was a lot of people fired up, especially in that second half. And I think that bodes you know quite well for the rest of the season if we can click, because once again we've not scored that many more points than our average that Lewis pointed out a couple of weeks ago. And we haven't really, um, we don't really look like scoring more than one try a game at the moment, maybe two. Well, using Yard as, as a bit of a link, because I think you're right, James, it's, it's clear, you know, how much, uh, you know, he embodies a lot of this team spirit, you know, the kind of effort, the enthusiasm, the celebration with Josh Beaumont's try. I think that leads us very neatly into talking about Josh Beaumont, who made uh, a, um, well, you know, let, let's let's call it what it is—a a miraculous return after over a year out um, suffering with a, a pretty horrific knee injury. Beaumont comes back in. He actually scores the game-winning try with a, with a couple of minutes left. You can see Yard jumping up and down, celebrating. 
it really felt like a bit of a water break moment. And I think your point, James, on the, the kind of togetherness in the camp and, and kind of seeing the players kind of come together, I think that's buoyed a little bit by the fact that, you know, in this game alone, we had, you know, Will Cliff, you know, a, a club steward, you know, been around the club for 10 years, come on, managed the game superbly in the second half. Beaumont obviously coming back, another homegrown lad, uh, someone who's, who's obviously come back from a, a, you know, a terrible injury. Uh, and then you see someone like Byron McGuigan, you know, getting sort of 20, 25 minutes um, in, in the second half as well. You know, I, I'm very sort of statistic-minded and, and analytical. You don't want to pay too much attention to cliches. But seeing players like McGuigan and, and Beaumont come back into the team after, you know, however many months out, it does give the team a lift. And you could see that in the second half. And, and that is encapsulated in, in Beaumont's try. But actually... We just seemed to have a little bit more composure with Beaumont on the field. We had a little bit more attacking flair when McGuigan was on. You know, we tried the uh, the little chip over the top from from a dead start. Uh, it's a move that's worked well for for McGuigan uh, in the last couple of years. We haven't really seen it um, until he's back in the team. It did feel, Alex, like you know these, these players coming back really did give the, the the club a bit of a boost in the second half. And when you combine that with the, the increase in possession, the increase in territory, the kind of falling away uh, of, of Gloucester uh, in that second 40. It, it did almost, you know, I say this very hesitantly, it did almost feel like a like a win was inevitable for Sale, didn't it? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the momentum had really turned and, you know, we were offering all the threat and all the kind of attacking uh, impetus and, and all the, the intensity in the game. And you are right that, you know, I think what Beaumont and McGuigan especially brought in coming on, and probably Will Cliff as well, actually, is a bit more, just a bit more accuracy. Because I think we had that intensity, but I think all all of those players are relatively calm and sort of clear-headed. And, you know, Beaumont is never going to be, you know, um, it's sort of the antithesis of John O'Ross, who is, you know, all passion and kind of driven by that. Whereas Beaumont is very clear-headed. He's not going to be, you know, scrapping someone. He's not going to be fighting people. He's just going to do his job and he's going to do it really well. And I think you saw that, that in the line-out, you know, it was a much cleaner line-out. At the, at the base of the rook, you know, Will Cliff is making good decisions and making them at the right time. And and McGuigan less involved, obviously, because of his position. But even when he did get the ball, you know, he, he took it inaccurately. He never kind of um, worried about it being spilt, that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, yeah they brought not only that kind of lift to the team, but they just executed things really, really well and did the simple things well. And that's what we've been missing for, you know, four weeks, isn't it? I think we've talked about it. We, we've we've been dropping balls and, and missing tackles and, and fumbling lineouts. And we did it at the start of this game. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of structure and that accuracy was massive in turning the tide because in that first half, the reason that we struggled is because we couldn't put phases of possession together. You know, we barely had the ball in the first half, as you said with the the possession stats. And yeah, you know, I, I don't think we had the ball in the first ten minutes because every time it came to us, we dropped it or knocked it off. Um, and admittedly, it came in you know box kicks in in rough conditions, but we just couldn't get our hands on it. Um, and once you've got a functioning line out, you can get the ball back so much more easily. And you know, I think. That was massive, and and it sort of points to the fact that you need stars in your team, but you also need these players who do the basics well. It's like that Wasps away game from last scene that we were talking about, you know. And, and I think 
that was the real difference, that yes, you can have your Dan Debrias and your Cobus Visas and your Marlon Yards who can make stuff out of nothing, but you need your Josh Beaumont, your Will Cliffs and your Byron McGuigans to kind of you know keep the phases going and, and give those more exciting players, if that's not too harsh a term to use, um, the platform that four phases in when the defence are a bit stretched, they can find a gap and, and create a try-scoring opportunity. I think antithesis seems to be um, the kind of word of the day because I think you're right. We're looking at you know performance first half versus second half, looking at some of these plays that that kind of came on and made a difference. And actually, you mentioned you well, you mentioned everyone Beaumont and Cliff kind of coming in and, and replacing some of that um, leadership uh, capabilities of, of a John Ross and a Fafta Clerk is very interesting because James, I know we were talking about it yesterday. It does feel that sales kind of struggles um, and, and kind of inefficiencies were kind of uh, in, encapsulated by the performances of, of John O'Ross and, and Fafta Clerk yesterday, both of whom I think it's fair to say had, had pretty poor games. Yeah, I think John, John O had a better second half. You know, I, I think the thing with John O is he, he is all passion and commitment. The, the, the issue is around his control uh, and the stats are, are currently showing that he doesn't have much of it. You know that he boils over. I mean, the the lead up to the to the Gloucester try really was was all John O'Ross, wasn't it? It was all for Gloucester against Jono. It was Jono giving away a silly penalty, being a bit of a prat, ruffling someone's hair on the sort of on our sort of the ten meter line, and then you know, and then the the yellow card, which was just silly. And he, we've talked about his red mist before, and it goes both ways because his red mist can be, you know, hugely. Uh, a, a big motivating factor for other players on the pitch because they see their captain leading from the front, putting his body on the line, doing the most tackles, always a willing ball carrier, another option in the line out. We're always fully committed in 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 hitting rucks and all of the rest of it. But you know when you get, when you're or ten minutes off the pitch with a yellow card and you just had indiscipline twice in a row, that can have the opposite effect. Where you think, oh, Jesus, well our captain's losing his head. What what chance do we have? So he does need to work on this, um, and I think he also needs to work on the way he manages the referee. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know referees have their favourites, and you can tell that Tom Curry, for example, is a complete favourite of the referee. Every time he's lying in the way and slow to move, but eventually gets out of the way, it's always, oh, thanks, Tom. Well, why is it thanks? He's just, he's deliberately slowing up the ball. But I mean, obviously that works for us. Um, other things is he's always the first to start a fight, but then about halfway through the fight, he then decides to start trying to peel people away and calm his own team down. And the referee's like, thanks, Tom. Yeah, take them away. Take them away. <laughs> he's like, he's just, he's just tried to kill Billy Twelve Trees. Why are you thanking him? But, you know, Jono doesn't have that kind of, that kind of relationship with referees. You know, you think about the Sam Warburton type things, talking down a referee from doing giving a penalty at the end of a Lions series. I couldn't imagine John Ross being able to do that. He's a different type of captain. He is who he is. He's a lead from the front man. You do get some pluses and minuses, but he just needs to work on those two things, you know, um, and uh, and improve on them. Um, so I, I'm definitely on De Klerk. I mean, we just haven't seen the best of him at all this season. Um, you know, he has unfortunately epitomised, especially in the last three games, some of the more sort of scattergun lack of control, you know, where you need a bit of patience, keep going through the phases, do the basics really, really well. And unfortunately, he hasn't been at his complete best. I wouldn't say he's been poor. 
I think you know. I think that's quite a big jump, and but but I think that he hasn't been at his best. That doesn't mean that I think that Will Cliff should start to get next game. I, I really don't. But it just we've had this conversation a million times on this pod, which is you know, De Klerk might be one of the best nines in the world, but do not write off the different type of nine that Will Cliff is, the commitment that he has to this club, um, and what he can offer the team. And you said it there, you know, his control few good box click kicks. Actually, what he was better at was clearing kicks this time. Um, really good distance on his on his kicks, taking the pressure off McGinty. Um, I thought he was was excellent in in that regard. And I said it on our WhatsApp group before, and you alluded to it both of you when you're talking about um, Josh Beaumont and and things. And I, and I do think that when you're in the shit like we have been last three weeks, and if we'd lost again yesterday the wheels might be completely off. Is you know, it's these homegrown players that tend to get you out the shit just because it matters to them a, a little bit more. Um, you know, it's not just about being a professional on the pitch for them. You know, this is about a club that they really care about and really give a crap about. Um, and it really showed. And, and Josh Beaumont, if I can just mention on him whilst I'm at it, you know, for 14 months out to put the performance in that he did is remarkable. Because there must be a thing at the back of your mind when you come back from an injury like that, which is, oh, God, I hope I don't get a little knock on the knee or land a bit awkwardly from landing from the line-out because that's how he did it in the first place. So there wasn't even a, a little whiff of it, any of that. You know, he was he, he sorted out our line-out as soon as he came onto the pitch. Boom, our line-out seemed to work. Um, he was, you know, he he offered something different um, in the counter-mall. Because he's a bit more slighter... He was quite good at getting through and really disrupting them all. I think in a way that the likes of John O'Ross and maybe um, and maybe Cobus Viso, who are just absolute units, they're kind of like you know battling to get through, and he just sort of slides through in that way. Um, and so that was quite impressive. And then of course he actually showed really good feet because he didn't he didn't it wasn't like an Exeter drive over. He didn't have people really pushing from behind. Like Marlon Yard had, was attached to him, but I mean, I think the difference that he made to the Beaumont drive was was slim. Um, but uh, you know, he actually he showed um, I, you know a fleet of foot and some agility to score that try. And um, I, I think it's just fantastic that he's been able to come back with so much confidence. And and you could tell how much it meant to and how well respected he is in the squad. You know, John O'Ross came up to him two or three times. And was just you could tell that they knew that he got he got them out of the shit. Um, and also, like even the Gloucester players, you know, huge amount of respect for Josh Beaumont. So really pleased to have him back. The likes of Byron McGuigan, he's another one that's always full full blooded and committed, and that it will bode well for the rest of the season. Uh, I think a hallmark of a of a truly sort of top class lock is is the ability to kind of move your body in the air on those pick and drives. Um, so Belmont being able to do that, like you said, James, after 14 months out, was uh, was was an indicator of the talent level he has because it's it's a real sort of difference maker and it obviously won us the game. Um, credit as well, just a quick shout out to Curtis Langdon, who I thought had a really good game when he came on. A big part of, of Belmont kind of steadying the line out is you've still got to get your darts right. And I thought Langdon and Belmont looked really good together um, as a tandem. Um, and I want to pick up actually something you said there, James, about the kind of the homegrown players getting you out of the shit. Um, one uh, uh, the, the sort of latest in the the academy graduates to, to make it through to the first team was Tom Roebuck. Uh, he had a pretty quiet game 
all told. I think he had uh, one touch of the ball and then was subbed off immediately afterwards. But it was a pretty important touch of the ball because he probably should have had a try in the corner, Alex. What do you what did you make of the, the no call on uh, Roebuck's effort uh, about halfway through the second half, which actually would have put Sale back in the lead for the first time? Um, well, unsurprisingly, as a Sale fan, I thought it was a try, and I'm sure there's a load of Gloucester fans out there going, there's no way that was a try. Um you know, I I think you was it you made the point on Twitter, Lewis. Um, um, you know, when you when you're having to analyse it in that much detail, and I'm, I think I can't remember what the on-field call was, um, but you know, I think it was. I I saw it as a try. I saw that his knee was in the field of play, and then his leg was up, and therefore, you know, without having a sensor on the touchline to tell us when someone's in touch or not. It looked like a try. I mean, it was a great finish from where he was, I thought, um, regardless of whether it was a try or not, you know, to, to get the ball down and for it to be that close because, you know, he had two Gloucester defenders on him. Um, so, you know, it's very encouraging for, from a Tom Roebuck point of view. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a try. It, it, it wasn't. And I think, you know, at the time, it did feel a bit like, we're in a really bad run of form, and Jay's made the point that you need um, you need things to go your way, and you need luck, and we just weren't getting any at the time, um, and that felt kind of like the peak of it. Like, oh, just you know, we finally created something. We've kind of we've executed well. We've put someone into a position that pretty much scored a try, but but they um, you know the the call goes against us. Um, I mean, I think it says everything that. Delalio and Monia of the BT Sport Parish, who are the two biggest anti-sale pundits on BT Sport, both thought it was a try. I think that says absolutely everything. Um, you know, and I'm, we could argue for days about whether he's in touch or not, but the, the people who don't like sale sharks thought it was a try. So on that basis, I think it probably was a try. At the end of the day, it didn't matter because we won the game. But, you know, it's it's a shame for Tom Roebuck more than anything, I think, because uh, it would have been nice for him to get a try in that game. The the, the point that you were referring to, I've, I've got it up here. This is what I tweeted out. Um, personally, don't think it was a try. Sorry, Alex, and there we go. Uh, but when you're having to analyse the blades of grass under someone's shin to work it out, you should probably just give it. Rugby would be a better game if the attacking team got the benefit of the doubt more often. Uh, I, I think... Personally, that his shin was in touch. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the the sort of constant deliberation and the sort of micro analysis of all these kind of moments, important as they are, really does take away from rugby as a spectacle. And uh, I echo what you said, Alex. I think uh, we're a little bit uh, a little, little bit gutted for Tom Roebuck, who, like I said, didn't get many chances to do much. And when he did, it was uh, an absolutely superb finish. Really showed again some sort of top flight quality to get the ball down. He was very unlucky not to score a try. Uh, and how different the game might have been then, uh, as we come to our last talking point, uh, if Sale was sort of two or three scores ahead by this point. James, let's talk about the, uh, the the fight that we all didn't know we needed until we saw it. Billy Twelve Trees versus Sale Water Carrier. Uh, it was the final moments of the game. Uh, the ball is out. Gloucester um, should have possession from from the line out or a or a or a scrum, uh, given that Sale knocked the ball on, on uh, off the restart. The sale water carrier picks up the ball as it goes out of play. Billy Twelve Trees uh, pushes him over the the, the hoardings. Uh, there's there's lots of scrapping. Ali Yeekin decides he's he's seen a headbutt from Marlon Yard. It's all a bit messy. 
what did you make of uh, what did you make of the fight of the century? Well, I mean, our water carrier shouldn't have been touching it, um, but they all do it in in every team, uh, and it does need to be taken out of the game. Um, that said, you know, the huge explosion on Twitter about it is just complete nonsense. You know, Joe Simpson, I don't know why players are starting, you know, we had the Dave Atwood thing commenting on our COVID cases and stuff like that, you know, about, you know, well, what's going on up there. They should be docked the points or whatever. You know, why are the players are starting to feel that they can commentate on things that have happened in games where officials are taking decisions. Just leave it to the officials Leave it to citing committees. Leave it to that kind of thing. Joseph was saying, you know, what a shame that people off the pitch have such an impact on the game. Well, for me, I, they had zero impact because if 12 trees had tried to take that quickly, Tom Curry would have absolutely annihilated whoever he passed it to. Um, so th- there was no opportunity to go quickly there whatsoever. And I know that, you know, yeah, but it's, but, you know, the water carrier shouldn't be touching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Billy 12 Trees shouldn't be shoving him over either because that's what caused everything else. So, you know, I, th- I think in the end, the, the, the Carl Dixon, he got it exactly right. You know, yeah, it was uh, Billy 12 Trees. That's not the right kind of role modelling of behaviour we should be having on the pitch. And water carrier disappear. If it had been in the first two minutes, no one would have said anything about it. And actually, look at the players at the end of the game. There was no beef between Sale and Gloucester, whatever. 12 Trees and Curry, they were laughing about it, shaking hands. It's just one of those little rugby instances. You know, both teams are in the shit. You know, they're desperate for wins. It went Sale's way this time. Um, If the Roebuck decision had gone our way, we might have won a bit more comfortably, but it didn't. And and that's exactly what Flatman said on Twitter. Yeah, You know, there's a million things happening in a game that may or may not have turned the game. I would say that the roadblock decision was a much bigger decision than whether the water carrier thing, had, you know, whether 12 trees could have gone quickly. What a load of nonsense. Storm in a teacup then, Alex? I know you've got a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> Absolutely. I just, I mean, the whole thing is just nuts, isn't it? It's like, this This is the point. that If you don't like that this happens, that people off the pitch interfere with what is going on the pitch, then that is absolutely fine. But it has been happening in every rugby game in the Premiership every week since the dawn of time, probably. It always happens. I used to be yeah. a ball boy at Haywood Road. We all used to get told, get your paws on the ball if it's a Gloucester the- line out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be the same for the Gloucester ball boys and stuff. So this, this is the thing, that if, if you don't like it, that is absolutely fine and you are more than entitled to absolutely going nuts at the fact that our water carrier has interfered in the game, which he shouldn't have done. That's fine. But then you have to, every time someone off the pitch interferes in the game, show that same level of, of fury. And frankly, I don't think anyone's got it in them because it happens that often. It's just a nonsense. I think, to be honest, I, I think genuinely that has kind of blown over and that will blow over. What is even more storming a teacup is the fact that Ben Curry puts something on story, jokingly calling our water boy the goat. Um, and it just, you know, you get people from everywhere. Someone actually called him scum, which was immense. Like, it's just so ridiculous that you you can't 
you can't begin to kind of understand that kind of fury. Like I'm angry after a sale game. Trust me, I'm angry. But I don't call. I don't go on Twitter and call someone scum for t- putting something on their Instagram story that is mildly it, funny for a start, very funny, and a little bit dickish. Like that is all it is. He's a 21 year old lad. Like it is just baffling. And I think people always talk about. Oh, the old rugby values and and that kind of thing, and it is it's just a bit kind of like number one, this is a professional game. Number two, the biggest thing about old rugby values, from what I can tell, is that they all used to go on tour and get pissed and do silly things. And you know, this is no different. It's just that Ben Curry does it on Instagram now. People, better rugby players have done worse things than Ben Curry has done. More more famous rugby players have done worse things than that, and got away with it by a mile. And it's just, that's the storm in the teacup for me. The, the water carrier thing, Goss will go on about it on their Twitter and Facebook groups for a while, but it'll die down. I imagine the Ben Curry thing, because people have screenshotted it and shared it around, will go for a bit. And that got more attention from more kind of famous and followed accounts, if you will. And I think that's the thing that'll probably kick off. To be honest, I thought it was funny. He had a laugh. He, he then deleted it. And said and messaged a few people saying sorry if I caused any offence. Uh, it was just having a laugh. But the the thing I love about it is that it shows that Ben Curry cares about sale and wants us to win and has that heart, even though he's off the pitch for three months. So that's the best thing that's come out of it for me is to see you know a local lad who's come through the academy showing that kind of passion for our win. So yes, um, it was a little bit dickish and maybe. In this world of manicured PR people, he shouldn't have done it. But he's a 21-year-old lad having a laugh. Leave him alone. Like, you know, go and talk about the rugby game. I think that you, well, the way you put it there about, you know, people going on tour, getting pissed and, like, throwing TVs out of windows. And, you know, you know, we've heard all the, the stories, haven't we, about taking cups into baths and, like, throwing it around what's the respect for you know the, the 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 triple crown or whatever that used to be won and dean richards like throwing it around and kicking it around like a football you know you know what about rugby values there you're right it's just the, the modern day era and and actually you know ben curry is is probably all the people who know who really know you know know that he's a really nice lad um yeah he's trying to have a bit of banter he's maybe slightly misjudged it there um, but but actually, people who really know know that he's a he's actually a nice lad, and what people are putting on to him there is their view of Sale and the uh, and the North more generally, and that's why they, they they hate us, and they're saying, well, this epitomizes everything I hate about the club. Well, actually, Ben Curry is a really nice lad, and anybody who's come across him playing in the age groups, he was captain of the England in the twenties. These things don't happen by accident. He's a good lad. He's he, he, you know he he is what's good about rugby. Um, and he's just got it sl- slightly wrong there. You know, I think something like you Pratt would have been, you know, absolutely fine on Twitter. Scum is just ridiculous. That puts, you know, that says more about that person, I think, than it does about Ben Curry. You know, it's it's all of their prejudices coming out. But also, and let's not get into it, but, you know, the polarisation that's happening in, in, in just in the world at the moment, there's no in-between ground, you know. Just you, you straight to scum. It was like, well, he's he's not scum, is he? <laughs> I mean, it's just absolute. I'm sorry, it's just it's just ridiculous. And as I said, it says more about that poster than it does about uh, Ben Curry. And I hope that you know it, it doesn't affect him in any way, and we just ignore it. Yeah, but Ben Curry's mint. 
like just just in general, like nice bit of off, off the field leadership, nice nice bit of banter, like well, and and you know as James has said, we all think he's a very nice boy, you know, and and that's all there is to say. Well done, Ben. Uh, so it wasn't pretty. You know, plenty of controversy, a lot of scrapping, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a win for sale. It's got us back up into the top four. Uh, and we actually now have a, well, I think it's fair to say, a pretty good chance of, of getting a second win on the bounce with our next game in the Premiership, which comes on Friday uh, against Worcester Warriors at home. And to give us a bit of an insight into what we can expect from the Warriors, I'll pass back to James. All right, OK, Worcester. Well... As you said, it's a really good opportunity, um, especially at home, to be getting up another win and get some momentum up. Um, they won the first game of the season, actually, Worcester, against Irish 11-10. And already that was getting talked about as a bit of a relegation game. Um, but they haven't really done anything since then. In fact, it's been a really tough ride for them. Um, they've they've lost away at Bristol Power and Saints. Um and seeing the Saints had lost like eight in a row at home or something, you know, that, that takes some doing. And then they've lost at home against Bath and the Ospreys. So, you know, you wouldn't say that those two teams are kind of, you know, the, the leading lights in, in, in the European game. Um, so, you know, look, they've had a bit of a lifeline with this COVID situation with Quinns this weekend. Uh, they are going to be rested you know they're they're going to feel rested. I'd, I'd say I'd say to be be wary of that. You know we we're going to be enjoying this win, the the Gloucester win, and you just hope that they can turn themselves back on um, and really see the opportunity of of putting this three game losing run. And, and as John O'Ross put it brilliantly at the end of the game in his interview, you know he just put the diamond thing behind him. He's been saying it a lot better than we're still talking about diamond in every interview. You know, and he just said, well look, diamond's gone. Rugby moves on. We move on. This is a great opportunity for the club to truly move on into a new era. Looking at um, the the Worcester, the squad, uh, they've lost a lot of key players, I think, over the last two years um, and haven't really replaced them. I think they've probably got a better coaching setup, but generally, you know, they're really promoting from the academy, which isn't a bad thing, but they really haven't brought in you know, big stars. They've lost some really key players who have been really underrated players. That said, they have some strength in some areas, which we have to acknowledge, and we're going to have to counter as a team. The first one, I, I really like Matt Moulds or Niall Annett as, as hookers. I think both of them are very underrated hookers. Um, more often than not, they're, they're hitting their men in, in the line-out, but also I think they're really underrated around the park as well, and especially at the back of Moulds in attacking Moulds. So we'll have to look out for that. They, they control the ball really nicely. Nick Shonnett, we know, is one of the best tight heads in the league. So whoever's playing at a loose head, I thought Bevan Rod had another brilliant game. I mean, for, for 2021, which is very young for a prop, to be just about holding your own in the scrum in the first half, I thought bodes very well because Bevan Rod's strengths are going to be around the park. It's going to be over the ball, you know, getting turnovers, but also being really mobile around the pitch. So if he's already holding his own in a premiership scrum, um, then I think that bodes well. So, you know, I don't know if, if Harrison's back, but Nick Shonnett's going to be a challenge for whoever it is, and I wouldn't be putting Morozov against him. I think that Shonnett will do an absolute job on him. So I, I'd go with Rod or, or Harrison if he's fit. The Kitchener's in the second row, solid campaigners, both homegrown lads. 
you know, I don't think they're going to be sort of setting the world alight, but, you know, they're, they're something to look out out for. They, they, they're solid campaigners. But the back row for me is is a is a place of real strength for them. Uh, Cornell Dupree, as if we aren't going to have enough Dupreeers on the pitch. Uh, well, it depends if people get banned. Uh, we haven't talked about Dan Dupreeers instance, by the way. You might want to go back to that. But uh, no, for me, I think uh, Cornell Dupree, really hard, gritty number eight, hits his rooks, carries all of the time, very much like a John O'Ross type figure for me. Ted Hill, um, he was the coming thing, thing a couple of years ago, still very young, now captain of the club. I think he's a really high quality eight, uh, high quality six and offers a really good option in the line out as well. Matt Kvesic hasn't been seen much on his return to Worcester. That's been unfortunate for Worcester because I think he offers options at eight and seven, um, really learnt his craft at Exeter. And I think that if he is fit, then he'll be something to watch out for for us. And they have still Sam Lewis, who's a good open side. Marco Mama, you know, you can play at eight or six. Um, good around the park. And Van Veltso, former captain of the club, probably dropped down the pecking order now, but another solid campaigner at eight. They've got a lot of depth there and a lot of good players in the back row. Um, and in the backs, really, it's a story of, of, of two things. One is Duncan Weir kicks every single shot of goal. So if our penalty counts remain high, we could lose this game. If we don't give away many penalties, I, I can't see us losing it at home uh, because I can't see Worcester scoring enough points otherwise. But if we give penalties, Worcester could, could easily w- win the game. Because either they'll kick to the corner and they're good with the rolling mall, or we'll just click, kick his goals. And then Ollie Lawrence, for me, is definitely going to be an England player for many, many years. Um, he's better at outside centre because he's got very, very quick feet and pace. And he looks like he understands how to defend in that channel as well. Something that he could maybe teach a bit um, to Rob Dupree. Um, but uh, no, he's a tremendous player. He's sort of like a cross somewhere between Manu Tuolangi and Jonathan Joseph. He's got uh, a power uh, a bit like Tuolang and he's got feet a bit like Joseph and I think he's a fantastic player. So whoever is opposite him um, playing at 13, you know, I think they're going to have to be very good defensively. Um, We should be picking our best defensive 13 there um, to counter that. So that's it from from me on that. Um, Come back to you two, really. Um, There's some selection decisions to to, to make for sale. So how, how do you think that we need to play against Worcester to get the win? So I think that there are going to be some similarities, really, with with how we kind of approach the Gloucester game and and how we approach the the, the Worcester game. I think up front, as you've rightly pointed out, James, they've got a lot of good players. They don't have any sort of great sort of game-changing players in the pack. And I think our pack, Dan Dupree, uh, citing, you know, uh, aside, we should have uh, the sort of firepower up front um, to to kind of take them on head-on. I think the danger with Worcester, as you've quite rightly pointed out, is is you know they've got some very talented backs. You didn't mention uh, Melanie Nanai, who's uh, who's playing at fullback for them, but he's a fantastic player com- coming from Auckland Blues a couple of years ago. Uh, Perry Humphreys always plays very well against us. Um, Francois Venter, another South Africa South African, gives them another power option uh, in the midfield as well. So I actually think one of Worcester's strengths is is their ability to to, to play. You know, they're obviously the, the struggling. They're, at the moment, uh, again, another team that's relatively low in confidence. 
uh, and on paper, we should be able to sort of match them. But you know, they just have a couple of a couple more game changes in the back line uh, compared to the forwards. So I think we have to approach it in the same way. We have to kind of muscle up up front, uh, keep the ball in play as much as we can, because I think we've naturally got uh, the the legs to kind of outrun the the Worcester forward pack. Um, and if we can do that, we can win the game line. You know, we can win the collisions. We can push them back, and at that point, we can kind of bring in. Uh, our back line, which, uh, as you pointed out before, isn't necessarily firing at the moment, but it is giving us sort of 15 to 20 points a game. Um, and and if you control in possession, if you control in territory, uh, it doesn't allow Worcester many opportunities to score. So I actually think we, we have to kind of look at this uh, as kind of like a Gloucester light in a, in a lot of ways. I think Gloucester, again, have had the better players compared to, uh, compared to Worcester. Um, but they kind of have the same sort of strengths and weaknesses, uh, which match up actually quite well to, to sales and where we are at the moment. Um, so, Alex, in terms of how that actually translates into to our team selection, I mean, let, let's start with the obvious one. James has alluded to it. Um, you know, who do you start in the centres to counter uh, the options that Worcester have? Yeah, well, I think not Rob Dupree, as James has probably alluded to. I really like Rob Brea. I think he's a really good player. And I think him at 13 can be an interesting option, but he can't defend there. And at the moment, we are not a good enough team to have a 13 who can't defend. We need we need to have someone in that channel who can defend because we can't afford to give away seven points a game through a poor defensive read or, you know, not quite having the pace to deal with the outside break. Um so for me, I'd be having Sam Jones in there. I think Sam Hill had another good game against Gloucester. Um, he gets us over the game line. He offers us a lot of accuracy. He isn't quite as destructive as Rohan and doesn't quite have the pace that Rohan does. But what he does do is, you know, retain the ball well. Um, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't. Rohan has a tendency to drop it in contact. Um, so you know, I don't think we need a lot of changes from from the Gloucester game. That is the first point. You know, there is a lot of benefit in keeping a winning team, but I, I just think that we have to change that. Um, 13 channel I think if Byron McGuigan is is fit and ready for a start I think you bring him back in on the basis of his performance similarly with Josh Beaumont I think you bring him back in on the basis of his performance um, you know JP Dupree has looked good but I think Beaumont and this is entirely dependent on injuries obviously um, but I think Beaumont just gave us such a lift and the line out looked so much better with him that I think that is a massive kind of um benefit of having him starting we've talked about the loose head prop um and i agree i think you, you want to have a harrison or a bevan rod and i think bevan rod genuinely has done enough to earn another start um and then the other the other change i would consider making which might be a bit controversial but i would consider bringing in langdon which i think we've said for weeks haven't we that he's he's probably performing a bit better than Acker at the moment and i think the langdon beaumont axes as a you know, Hooker in second row uh, seems to work much better than than Van der Merwe and JP Dupree is. Um, so for me, I'd consider bringing in Curtis Langdon. Um, I don't think many other changes are needed. You know, I mean, we'll talk about Van der Breer in a minute because he may not be available, and that does change the composition of our back row a lot. But you know, with the team will have a really, really good feeling behind it, and I think the squad will as well. But specifically, that twenty three. So there's, you know, it's, it's tweaks rather than kind of uh, rather than wholesale changes, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think the the key here is if we take Rob Dupree out of thirteen, I would put Sam James there, and then you bring either Luke James or Hammersley in at fullback. Um, 
that seems to me the the best change. And then you consider bringing in McGuigan for either Yard or Roebuck. Um, you know, on the basis of I, I wouldn't have McGuigan at fullback. I think uh, he's a much better winger than fullback because um, I think his attacking threat is much higher at winger and you don't get that much benefit from having him at fullback uh, as compared to that. So those would probably be the changes I'd make. But I think it's it's about being very careful and trying to continue that momentum, but also just picking out the areas from that Gloucester game where we saw improvement from the bench and going, was that genuine improvement from the bench, i.e. Will Cliff comes on and controls the game? I think he stays on the bench and comes off. Um, to bring that control later on in the game? Or was that, you know, Beaumont and Langdon play better together than Van der Merwe and JP De Bria? And I think, you know, against Worcester, we need to be accurate and we need to not give away penalties and we need to make sure that we put them out of sight in the first half through good field position, retaining the ball, pushing them down the field, winning the territory battle and therefore being able to put points on them, whether that's through the boot or through tries. Um, and I think if we're throwing our line out wobbly and we make it a really tight game, they will just keep scoring penalties because we will keep giving them away and Duncan Weir will keep kicking them. And if that happens, they could very easily get away from us. Can I just come in on selection? I, I, all right, James, go on. Because I was going to say, before we do predictions, there was obviously the Dan Dupree incident, which probably kind yeah. of leads into selection. So do yeah, you, okay. you go, you go, for, you go for your selection. selection I've set you up on the Dan Dupree thing, Lewis, because I want to get your opinion on that. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be available for the next three games. So that sets the scene for both my my selection, but also then for your view on whether you agree with me or not. Um so for for me, yeah, I think you know if Harrison is fit, then I think you've got to really consider him coming back in, back straight back in for this game. Um, it's the first time in his career really that he's been unreliable with his fitness, um, you know, and and uh, it was always going to happen at some point, wasn't it? But uh, thank the Lord that Bevan Rod has come through at the right time, recovered from his own injuries, um, and Morozov obviously is is a good option there as well. But I, I assuming that Harrison isn't fit, going with Rod, I would bring in Langdon as well. You know, it, I understand why we keep throwing Acker in and he's a great player, but I don't think he's done enough so far to definitely hold on to that shirt. And I think that Langdon should have started this season um, as first choice. And I don't think that Acker has done enough to take the shirt off him. And we're a few games in now. So I would I would, I'd bring Langdon in at, at two. I'd uh, I hope that Will Griff John is fit and available and I'd play him at, at tight head. In the second row, Visa for me is a brilliant second row, much better than back row. He starts. I'm going to go JP du, uh, JP Dupree because I just think that Beaumont are giving more time off the bench in the next next game. But I think starting him, I think, is a big, quite a big call after such a long time out. Um, and I would, you know, keep him hungry and thirsty for a little bit more and a cavern coming off the bench. My big selection is in the back row, where if he's fit, I would bring Cam Neald in at six. Um, and move John O'Ross to play at eight in the absence of um, Dan Dupree. And I think um, Jean-Luc isn't available either um, this week. So I'd obviously keep Tom Curry at seven. But I'd bring Cam Neal in because he's another one of those players who's going to be so up for it. He got injured at the wrong time again this year because he would have had an opportunity with John O being out to start games at six. If he's at fit, he was so good in the restart of the last season. He showed us what he'd brought, you know, a few seasons ago when he was our player of the year. 
And I just think if he's fit, I want him in, in this team because he will just give 60 minutes of blood, sweat and tears. And I think we, we need more of that. A key with the clerk at nine, um, just because I think that you know him versus who hard is it, 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 who hard is it, is a name is a is a face up that I want. McGinty continues. Um, Van Rensburg, if he's fit, comes in for me at twelve. Um, uh, but uh, Sam Hill, I'm more than happy with it. If if not, I agree with Alex. Sam James has to move back to thirteen now. He's done a, a, a he, he's a Premiership standard fifteen. He's a Premiership standard ten, but he is more than that at 13 and he needs to move back there for this game I keep with Roebuck at, 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 on the right wing uh, I agree that Luke James or Hamsley starts at 15 and McGuigan comes in um, at 11 so on, on my bench is Aka, Morozov Ustazen Beaumont Dugdale Cliff um, uh, Art, Rob Dupree and Marlon Yard there we go so, do you agree with me on Dan Dupree, Lewis? Is he going to be banned for three games? Yeah, I, I think he will be. I think he was a very lucky boy yesterday when he didn't get red carded. You know, we're 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 moving in the right direction with contact to the head. You know, you've seen it in in the test sphere and in the domestic sphere. But you know, you you look back at it, you you know, no arms, no arms in the tackle. He, you know, he's making head contact. It, it probably should have been a red card. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of whataboutery that happens on Twitter at the moment. It's a really ugly part of, of the game, I think. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, there's the same thing happens to, to Akavanda Merva, you know, um, in the second half. He nearly got his head taken off by the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, a Gloucester player coming into the rook, no arms, you know, shoulder to head, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so you'd like to see, I'm not sure who it was. You'd like to see them get sighted as well. But I, I think you just simply can't do it. And it's, it's a limitation of, of some of the players that we have in our squad. We have uh, a spine uh, of the team, which is, you know, uh, you know South African. Um, and they are the sort of players who are built around physicality, you know, passion, aggression, all this kind of stuff. And it works very well. But it's a fine line to, to lead. And obviously the fact that we're, we're going to have to play John Ross at eight, probably, on, on Friday, because Jean-Luc Dupree and Dan Dupree are, uh, are both banned, I think is probably a testament to, to the fine line that needs to be walked uh, that we're, we're not quite doing yet. Um, so, yeah, I'd be very, very surprised. Um, and to be honest, not disappointed if, if Dan Dupree uh, was was cited and wasn't available for Worcester, because I think it's, it's an area of the game that has to be cleaned up and, and policed properly. And I think, you know, you can... Watch the clip back uh, as many times as you want, and yeah, maybe there's some mitigating factors, but I think it's uh, I think it's a, a pretty cut and dry um, sighting offence. So I don't want to leave it on on such a, a such a down note. Um, so let's do some predictions because I feel like that is going to leave us uh, on a on a slightly more positive uh, aspect. Uh, so Alex, you know, knowing what we know about Sale and, and about Worcester, what do you think the score will be on Friday night? Uh, I predict Dan Dupree is not going to get banned and Sale are going to start him and win by 22 points to eight. I think we will put away Worcester pretty comprehensively, um, which is a very dangerous thing to say. But I just think, you know, there's going to be a bit of a bounce from uh, from last week. Um, I'm regretting making this prediction already. But yeah, I think, yeah, 22-8, I'll stick with it. Just quickly, though, why don't you think Dupree will be cited? Very briefly, because a the TMO looked at it in game, which will change. I think sorry, I think he should be cited, and I think he has made contact with the head without any arms, and 
that should be a red card and sighting offence. Um, and it runs through a whole squad. You are right that they need to learn to tackle with their arms. And there's no point going for people's heads because it is so dangerous and so unbeneficial and offers us no advantage in the game. But I think from a sighting point of view, following the framework, A, there's mitigation because he's falling. Um, and B, it's been looked at by the TMO. So I think those two things in tandem will probably end up meaning that it is very hard to cite him because you would have to say the TMO has made an incorrect call and it is explicitly a red card. So I think it should be a red card in citing. Um, but I think the, the way that the citing panel works may mean that he isn't cited um, because of the mitigation of the player falling because he's trying to hit the back of the player and then makes contact with the head as opposed to, you know, the player is coming at him, not falling and he's hit the head. Um, that's so if Andy Queer isn't and Fraser Balmain is, Twitter will completely explode. Absolutely. Which would be but very bad for the integrity of the game, but very good for our follower numbers and engagement. So, you know. <laughs> so, Alex, you've gone 22-8 uh, to sale. I'm going 32-12 to sale, uh, to sale uh, much in the same way. I think we've got more than enough to put Worcester away. Uh, and I think actually playing on the Friday night should should help us, you know, just squeeze squeeze the Warriors a bit. Um, James, your prediction? Um, for me, 29-17. I think we're still going to be a comfortable win. Um, I think we'll be fine if we can match the freshness of the Worcester Warriors, which is another reason why I'd bring in someone like, you know, Cam Neald. Just that bit of freshness, that eagerness to 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 sort of perform. Because I think the Worcester will—they're going to come out with a lot of energy at the beginning. If we can, I think we have a good first 15, 20 minutes. Um, then I think we sh- we'll we'll uh, run away with it um, in the, um, the the next sort of three quarters of the game. Very quickly, I realise we hadn't mentioned that Worcester had a week off last week, did we? Really? Um, so I think that is going to be a big factor in the game. And you are right, James, that that could easily end up swinging it Worcester's way if uh, you know we we aren't clever with our selection because if we have a team that goes out and after having a pretty tough 80 against Gloucester um, to then go against a fresh Worcester team, that could be very, very dangerous. So uh, that should be factored into selection as well, you would hope. Um, You're all right with that. I thought we were so close to finishing the, the podcast on a positive note, but the, the sale fans in us are bringing it back to a, to a worst case outlook. Um, but yeah, that, that that's the podcast for this week. So we actually now have stuff to plug at the at the end of the show. Um, obviously, for for our listeners and our followers on Twitter, you'll have seen we've we've made some some sort of behind the scenes changes in in terms of what we're doing with the podcast. Um, and we actually now have a Patreon. So um, the idea behind the Patreon is there are a lot of ideas that we're very keen to do. Um, but unfortunately, production costs are a thing. And so what we've done is set up a, a Patreon, which allows our listeners to get access to exclusive content uh, and bonus episodes on a monthly basis um, for, for, those of, uh, for those of you who would like to support the show uh, beyond the regular show. So just want to make it you know, crystal clear for everyone. The main show, the one we're doing right now, is not going to change. It's going to stay weekly. It's going to cover the events of the, the last game, look ahead to the next game signings, uh, announcements, injuries, all that kind of stuff. The bonus episodes on the Patreon uh, will be for more some, more kind of like fun, evergreen, off-the-wall ideas that we, we've kind of been sitting on for a while. 
um, and, and that kind of needs their own space to properly breathe without trying to cram it into a, a weekly episodical. Um, so the Patreon is patreon.com slash the shark tank. There's plenty of links to it on our Twitter. Um, we want to say a massive thank you to, to the people who have actually already signed up. We really appreciate the support, especially as the, the bonus episodes uh, are forthcoming. Um, we have actually moved some of our favorite episodes of the last, uh, of the last calendar year over to it as well. Uh, so our interviews with Simon Orange, Curtis Langdon, uh, our season review and, and preview are now all on the Patreon. They're all actually unlocked. Um, so anyone can go and, and listen to them without having to pay. Um, but it's just to give like a, a, a flavor of the sort of content that will be on the, the Patreon uh, over the next coming months. Um, so please support the show if you can. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we're delighted with the, with the uptake we're already uh, seeing so far. Um, and lastly... The other announcement we had was we're looking to expand the Shark Tank team. You know, we've been talking for a long time about what we can do to help support the growth of the women's game and, and specifically sales uh, women's w- women's team in their first year of competition. And so what we're looking for is a, is a, a new member for the Shark Tank uh, to join us to, to help us cover the, 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 the women's game uh, in a little bit more detail and actually help out with all the fun stuff we do uh, on, the, on the main pod as well um and so we've, we've put out a few calls on twitter um but obviously if, if you know you yourself listening to this or you know anyone who'd be a good fit uh, and is really keen to, to help us grow the women's game you know please reach out you know we are taking uh submissions and uh, you know we're really excited about the the avenues that this is going to open up uh for for us as a as a show so Please support the Patreon. Uh, please, you know, send uh, our opportunity over to any of your journo mates. Um, and, and thanks, everyone, for listening and, and engaging with us as we tweet jokes about sales, uh, water carrier fighting Billy Twelve Trees. You know, we really, really appreciate it. Um, so that's everything from, from me this week. Alex, James, is there anything you'd like to mention before we sign off? No, nothing from me. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and, and hopefully uh, a good win against Worcester, and, and 2021 will be a successful year for the Sharks. And for me, just congratulations to the three lads who have been called up to the England under the 20s squad um, ahead of the Junior Six Nations, uh, Rafi Quirk, uh, Tom Roebuck, and someone else that I'm forgetting. Joe uh, Carpenter. Who, Joe Carpenter, exactly. Who is an interesting option, I think, at 15... Um, coming through so uh, good uh, thanks um, thanks for that Alex and good luck to the lads